everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast. Uh, we're back after the first uh, set of games for the play-in tournament. We've already got some great stuff to talk about. Um, we also have some recap of our weekly predictions we'll get to later on in the show. A little bit of a shorter show, um, but it should be a good one. I, of course, am your host, Karsten, and we're back on Wednesday, and we're joined by um, our Wednesday co-host, uh, who also happens to be one of my good friends, Justin. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm doing fantastic, Carson. Thank you for having me on the show. It's good to be here once again, and we've got a lot of exciting basketball to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. We're getting just the tip of the iceberg. We're getting into the, you know, the real playoff excitement. We've already had some, you know, we mentioned we'll talk about those games in detail here in just a moment. Um, we've already seen with tonight's games, which of course will break down on tomorrow's show. Um, there's some even crazier stuff that happened. Um, we're being a little bit vague, so of course you'll want to tune into next uh, episode for that. But uh, enough said. I guess let's go ahead and jump into it. We've again we had two games last night. These were the first two games of the play-in tournament, and these were the games between the seventh seed and the eighth seed in each respective conference. So the first game was the uh, seventh seed Miami Heat hosting the eighth seed Atlanta Hawks. That was your Eastern Conference matchup. And then the second game was the seventh seed Los Angeles Lakers hosting the eighth seed Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, again, this is a little bit of a new structure. If you're not familiar with how the play in tournament works, the winner of this game gets locked into that seventh seed in the normal playoff structure. So they clinch that spot. Um, and it's a little bit of intrigue, gives that eighth seed a chance to leapfrog and and claim a slightly better you know playoff position. Meanwhile, the eighth seed goes on to play a later game to see if they can for sure lock in that eighth seed playoff spot. Hopefully that explained it well, but um, let's jump into that first game and a bit of a surprise here. The eighth seed Atlanta Hawks, the road team, the less favored team, upset the Miami Heat 116 to 105. And in doing so, the Hawks clinched the seventh seed and a playoff berth and a for sure uh, playoff series against the Boston Celtics. Um, and my quick thoughts, I'll lead off with a very quick statement. Um, the rebounding battle, a lot of old school coaches would be happy to see how much rebounds factored into this game, because that really was where the game was won or lost. Um, Justin, did you have a chance to, uh, catch some of this game, catch the highlights? What were your kind of thoughts on the outcome of this one? A lot of my time at work, actually an alarming amount of time at my job today, we spent talking about basketball and the pros and cons of the play-in tournament and if we like the the single elimination style or not. But mm -hmm. I think the general given consensus on the games was that all of them so far have been very exciting. All of them have been fairly close. And we like the outcome of the games that have been played so far. Yeah, We like that the Lakers beat the Timberwolves given it's not that surprising considering the Lakers have the best player in the world and the Timberwolves have all kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. but it was good to see it. Um, the Lakers came back being down dang near 20 points at yep. the end of the third quarter and had a monster fourth quarter and one. And so I think that was a fantastic game. Um, the heat Hawks game is disappointing for the heat, but the Hawks seem like they played fairly well. So maybe they'll surprise some teams in the postseason this year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and again, that rebounding battle, Clint Capella alone, he grabbed 21 rebounds in this game. Huge rebounding effort, couple of blocks to uh, only four points. But again, that's really not his game. You know, he's a rebounder and inside presence. Um, Trey Young grabbed eight rebounds. Uh, you know, when your diminutive point guard is grabbing eight rebounds, that's a pretty great uh, all round rebounding night for your team. They had 63 total rebounds compared to Miami's 39. And really that first half where the heat, the, excuse me, the Hawks got off to such a fantastic start. That was the key difference. The Hawks creating second chance opportunities to be able to, um, you know, set up for threes. They were running their offense very efficiently, very confidently. The heat seemed to kind of kick it into gear in the second half, but the Hawks never really backed down. They never got, uh, you know, shaken or, or jostled by the heat crowd. The Hawks kept them out of it, and it was a big win for Atlanta. 
Um, how about the Miami side of this? You mentioned, of course, Miami fans and team alike disappointed. Um, and you mentioned a little bit the future of the play-in tournament. What are your thoughts on this being kind of a culture shock for a team? You know, we, again, it's a very new format. We haven't seen a huge history of those upsets. We've seen a little bit of it last year with the Pelicans. But to have a team lose a home game like this where they were clearly favored, what do you think that holds kind of for the future of the uh, play-in format in general and maybe the Miami side specifically, what that means for them going into their next game uh, against whoever you know wins that um, 9-10 matchup? Overall, uh, the NBA play-in tournament rules are designed to provide an extra layer of competition and maybe mm-hmm. even some excitement going into the playoffs. Um, and they also ensure that the teams with the best records ultimately make the playoffs. I know that a lot of people have had issues with the the East and the West being weaker or stronger than in, than the other conference in post years and having better teams not make the playoffs. But I think this is an opportunity for good teams to make the playoffs, even if their regular season isn't as strong. Right. Um, however, I think there is a fair criticism to say about the play in tournament um, because it potentially lets lower seeded teams with worse records, make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, a second good criticism is the fact that it makes the regular season less meaningful. It kind of lets guys coast during the season and then play hard right at the end. And it's kind of what I think I expected the heat to do because Jimmy Butler always turns into a superhero in the postseason. Mm-hmm. but he couldn't swing at this game. Um, they got out muscled and out bodied by the Hawks and they just never could hang. And so they yeah. fell apart and lost. And now we have to see the Atlanta Hawks lose four games to the Milwaukee bucks. The- so <laughs> <laughs> the or Celtics, whoever they play in the first yeah game, yeah Celtics. Celtics. It, it won't be any different maybe they'll yeah. get a gentleman sweep but <laughs> i yeah i i think it's interesting i would have preferred to see the heat play the celtics just because there's that little bit of a rivalry yeah um, rematch of last year's series too, so. yeah yeah there's there's intrigue either way um firstly for the atlanta fans um i just want to say i think that they could win two games in that series uh if they really had a great run but um yeah, um, you know, valid points. It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Which I guess any sword is double-edged. But, um, you know, there's that risk of, yeah, the regular season not mattering as far as teams coasting into that play-in spot and just, you know, going on a run and solidifying that playoff spot. But then there's also that extra intrigue of when it's a one-game series versus seven games, there's that crazy aspect of a team like we've seen, you know, the Hawks upsetting a heat team that we clearly thought was a better team. And so it kind of goes both ways, I suppose. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of sides to this, um, you know, argument. Like you mentioned though, it's, it's, you can't argue that it's created some really exciting games. Um, And that's really been, you know, something. And it, it almost, creates some some parallels maybe some minor similarities to the ncaa tournament of course a single elimination tournament um that tournament is on a much larger scale there are bigger talent disparities um team to team player to player um generally speaking of course so uh, but it has shades of that um and that's i think that's kind of a fun thing one other thought <clears throat> excuse me one other thought I like the idea of the play-in as kind of a a segue into the playoffs, you know, instead of going from the last game of just, you know, almost day-to-day clocking into work, adding to your record to then suddenly, okay, you're in a seven-game series. This kind of bridges that gap where it's just another game, but it's also a play-in game. It's a playoff-type atmosphere. And it kind of, you know, segues teams into it a little bit, or at least the fan base. That might be just kind of random thinking, but I kind of like that aspect of it. But um, no, your thoughts have been clear. I my biggest concern about the plan, and I know this wasn't going to be a debate or anything that we had scheduled, Mm. um, but I think it's it's somewhat unfair to the higher seeded teams. Um, the The reason that I say that it's unfair to these higher seeded teams is because they could potentially be eliminated in these one 
game series Mm -hmm. during a fluke game from, you know, a team like Atlanta and thus eliminating them from any level of competition. Yeah. Right. One of one of my coworkers is a massive Miami Heat fan and he came into work just absolutely furious because he felt like the Heat were kind of snubbed. Um, I love the competition of single elimination type series. Maybe if they made the play in games two out of three or mm-hmm. I don't know, three out of four, they might make it a little bit better. Or three out of five. But I just think the one game takes an opportunity to see better teams play and gets rid of it. Plus, yeah. if they add more games, it theoretically makes more money for the league. So they'll continue to add things to try to increase revenue as much as possible. That's a fair point. You bring that up. And also, you touching on that made me think of another possible downside. You know, you think of the high seeds in a postseason structure should have the advantage. And obviously, in the playoff structure, that is true. You know, the highest seeded, once you get to those eight teams in each conference, the number one seed plays the number eight seed and so on. And then after that, the the winner of the one eight matchup plays the winner of four and five. And so it's structured for high seeds to have easier roads in the playoffs, which makes sense, right? You reward them for their production in the regular season. But with this aspect of the seventh and eighth spots being up for grabs um, just days before the first round actually starts the third and fourth seeds have an advantage in terms of they have that whole week to scout, to train, prepare, you know, their game plan, their matchups, what they're going to do against a certain team in a series. Whereas, you know, your, your first seed team, they're not going to know who they're playing in the first round till the day or, you know, a couple days before that series starts. So they're almost put at a disadvantage as far as preparing for that matchup. And, you know, the casual fan would probably say, well, you don't have to worry about scouting as much because you're playing an eight seed team. But um, let's remind our listening audience that eight seeds have won first round series uh, two or three times. And that's been within the last 20 years, 20, 30 years. So it's not out of the question. And given right, there's some big upsides to it. I think it lets us see how young players will play when they get in a playoff position, mm-hmm. right? Like Trey Young, I think this is going to be his first playoff series. I could be wrong. Maybe he's been in them before, but yeah. he's a young guy. Um, yeah, there's lots of lots of possibility of new young stars kind of showing out when it matters mm-hmm. most, and I think that's kind of a cool thing that it does too. Yeah, that's a fair point. Just a quick reminder you mentioned Trey Young in 2021 they did have that run to the conference finals the so. Trey Young's Hawks did yep oh. you don't remember that honestly no um because <laughs> it was a fluke the Hawks suck and they shouldn't be anywhere wow Atlanta fans I want to apologize again we've got some strong take and nobody from our show listens from Atlanta so <laughs> not yet <laughs> We're going to get the Atlanta fans in here. ATL, I'm not hating on the Hawks. They got a great history. I like Trey Young. We've been growing at an an exponential pace. And so certainly sooner than later, there will be Atlanta fans listening to our show devoutly as we live stream. Exponential is one way to put it. I'll say that much. But um. Yeah, overall, yeah, tough game for Miami. We will highlight that uh, Kyle Lowry did rack up 33 points off the bench. So that's cool to see him getting in a bit more of a rhythm um, going into, you know, their upcoming game to see if they can, excuse me, be that eighth seed in the playoffs. Um, Tyler Hero, 26 points. Jimmy Butler, 21 points. So some of their best players did not have terrible games, um, but they're, important role players like Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, they had some tough games and that certainly did not help their effort. Um, meanwhile, Oladipo and Kevin Love played poorly too. So it was just disappointing. Yeah. Oladipo, Love. Um, Caleb, Caleb Martin played for what? 30 minutes and didn't score a single point. Yeah. 
That's terrible. Yeah, that's tough to see. Max Struess, 20% from three, one of five. Uh, and he's supposed to be their three-point marksman or one one of them. So definitely tough. Yeah, Atlanta, they had balanced scoring. They had 25 from Trey Young, 18 from DeJounte Murray. Sadiq Bey had a nice game in there, 17 points, six rebounds, um, proving his worth um, as not just a three-point shooter, but also he has some good length, can do some other things for you. Um, and yeah, great win for Atlanta. So let's jump into that next game. This one, not the uh, not a seeding upset, but a close down to the wire game, uh, a thriller, if you will. The Los Angeles Lakers win their home matchup against the Minnesota Timberwolves, but they had to go to overtime to do it, where they won uh, by a score of one hundred eight to one hundred two, um, and they clinched that seventh seed. The Lakers will face the um Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs and the Minnesota will play the winner of tonight's nine and 10 matchup. So um, that's the, the, you know, end result of that, but it was a very um, down to the wire game. Although third quarter, it looked like Minnesota could run away with it. They led by as many as 15 points. Um, but then the Lakers, you know, clawed back very close game at the end, wild series of uh, plays, and then the Lakers were able to come out on top still. Um, were you surprised to see Minnesota give the Lakers this much of I, I think I already know the answer, but maybe kind of speak to that um, as far as, you know, we reported last time what had happened with Minnesota in that final game of the regular season uh, maybe what it means for Minnesota and their players to be able to put up this kind of fight under under the given circumstances. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, for what we know, and you already know my perspective, I think Minnesota is trash. Uh-huh. Um, however, I think the Lakers are also trash, and that's why the game was as close as it was Okay. Uh, until the fourth quarter. Anthony Edwards played out of his mind. That dude has that kind of old-fashioned dog in him that lets him play hard. He played every single game of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a massive block at the rim. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just <laughs> – it's just a stud, and he's such a good player, and it's fun to watch him work. Um, unfortunately, he plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that will never win a championship and will never be worth anything. Um and they were playing against the biggest market in all of NBA basketball, except for maybe the New York Knicks. So yeah, yeah. it's a blessing that they have him and he really played well. And Carl Anthony Towns has been solid too, but mm-hmm. you can't have your defensive player of the year candidate, Rudy Gobert, punch your teammate um, and get suspended before the game that possibly lets you get eliminated or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, glad you mentioned Anthony Edwards again. Yeah, that that final game of the season had a huge game, especially defensively, but also kind of all around, you know, really led them in this game uh, last night against the Lakers. He did struggle offensively, um, missed all nine of his three point attempts uh, below 20 percent from the floor. Terrible shooting, but he still was productive as far as, you know, those hustle type things, the rebounding, the defense, uh, things like that. Kyle Anderson. He racked up four steals and four blocks in that game against the Lakers, along with a double-double, 12 points and 13 assists. That's one of the more unique stat lines I've seen in a while. Um, Carl Anthony Towns led them in scoring 24 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks, uh, 23 points for Mike Conley. Of course, Gobert did not play in this game with his one-game suspension after that incident. Um, Torian Prince, 14 points, so... They had some decent team performances, and again, they had a chance to kind of win this game, but the Lakers really rallied, um, and LeBron, of course, a big factor, as you'd kind of expect. Uh, But Anthony Davis right there with him. LeBron, 30 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks and a steal. We're really you know, locking into um, playoff LeBron. He's going to give you that full defensive effort. He's in it to you know really make sure they win these games. Anthony Davis, a great game, too. 24 points, 15 rebounds, four assists, three blocks, and two steals. Plus, they got 21 huge points from Dennis Schroeder off the bench. Uh, three three-pointers, uh, a couple of those being in the clutch moments towards the end. Um, 
And yeah, a big overall game for the Lakers. Uh, Justin, you mentioned you're not so sold on the Lakers this season or maybe in recent seasons going against the Memphis team in that first round. You know, we already got your thoughts on Atlanta. You think that's a gentleman sweep, maybe if, uh, you know, full sweep. But LeBron in a playoff series as the low seed against a young Grizzlies team who is depleted in their front court. No Steven Adams, no Brandon Clark. How do you think that series goes now that that matchup is set? This may be a more controversial opinion, but I think that series is winnable by the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. I love the or I love the the Grizzlies. I love watching them play. I love their kind of thuggy style of basketball. I think mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks is the best villain in the whole NBA. Um, but they're going to have a really tough matchup with the Lakers when they play them. Mm-hmm. Right at guards, they've got obviously they're going to have Austin Reeves, who's from a small town in the middle of nowhere, guarding John Morant, mm-hmm. uh, who has been fantastic this whole year, but has issues. Um, Dennis Schroeder's a guard. He plays pretty solidly. D'Angelo Russell, he can give you points whenever you need him to give you points. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just, I honestly think that it's a winnable series for the Lakers, and that scares me. But it's also very possible that the Memphis Grizzlies will win like they're supposed to. Right. Um, And I think Triple J does a good job of locking up AD. I think Triple J is tougher than AD. Jared Vanderbilt is okay on the Lakers. And yeah. Rui Hachimura, he seems like he's pretty solid too. But I think the the Grizzlies ought to be able to get it done, but I think it'll come to six or seven games. Right. Um, yeah, I it, that's a big point. And I think that um, – yeah, sorry, brain fart for a second. But um, Jaron Jackson Jr., he's going to be very pivotal in this series as far as the Grizzlies being able to take care of business or putting themselves at risk of an upset. Um, And again, it goes to that front court depth. He's going to have a lot of work to do, especially against the Lakers team that is post centric, you know, Anthony Davis is going to be your more traditional type of post up scorer. Uh, Maybe some mid range, you know, face up type play LeBron, uh, he can shoot, of course, but he's mainly a guy that likes to drive, make plays, driving and kicking or, or doing things like that. Um, so that's really where the I think the series is won or lost is in the trenches. And it's a big thing. And also, you know, Justin, a question for you on the Grizzlies, who guards LeBron? That's kind of my question. That's a very, very good question. Um I think you got to have Dylan Brooks on him. Yeah. Dylan Brooks is smaller than he is. He's weaker than he is, but Dylan Brooks is a type of guy that'll punch you in the nuts. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think you need to have that kind of crazy on the opposing team's best player. Someone who's not afraid to get trampled. Someone who's not afraid to get run over. Um, Yeah. And I think that you just try to get in bronze head as much as you can the whole time. You've got to take the Patrick Beverly or the Lance Stevenson approach. I was going to, I was just going to say Lance Stevenson. Yeah. Blow his ear. Yeah. yeah, Draymond Green is another example of somebody that is one of those type of players. Mm-hmm. But that's who I think I would run on LeBron. Because obviously LeBron's going to get you 25, 10, and 10. Yeah. Nothing you can do about it. People have been trying for 20-plus years. <laughs> so yeah. No way to stop him. So you need to slow him enough that he doesn't get 40, and you need to play well on everybody else. Yeah. Make sure that he's not able to – get the rest of the team going enough to, you know, make it kind of a runaway game in that sense. Totally get where you're coming from. I think that's a great point. Um, You know, we will note that this was one of our predictions that all of us, uh, Justin and I, as well as Wyatt, we all got this correct as far as the Grizzlies playing the Lakers in the first round. Um, Of course, none of us picked the Hawks to win in the first round, so we kind of got upset in our brackets there because they (laughs) – uh, they because they were a lower record team than the Heat. We'll put it a little bit more kindly there. But um, yeah, just a comment there. Again, we will update those. I think the plan for our, you know, playoff prediction brackets, we're going to update those at the end of every round. So at the end of the play-in tournament, you'll see where each of us are points standing wise. 
then the first round and so on. So I think that'll be a fun little side note to follow with us as we all follow the playoffs in general. But um, with that, that takes care of uh, the two games from last night. Again, we're going to have some great games to talk about on tomorrow's show as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's talk through our key news, which ultimately is just a couple of NBA general items. The first of that being uh, the NBA did officially announce merchandise sales from the second half of the regular season. Um, If you're curious to look through that, that's currently posted on the NBA's website. Um, There's not really any surprises. You know, LeBron, the number one selling jersey, Steph Curry, number two, Tatum, number three. That's a little bit surprising. Um, Yeah, the top top 10, it's Giannis at four, Luka, Durant, Booker, kind of the names that you would expect in general. Uh, Top selling teams, Lakers, Warriors, Celtics. Interestingly enough, the Suns and the Bucks are both outselling the Bulls and the Knicks. Normally, those two teams, regardless of play, are one of the top-selling franchises. So that's a little surprising. But um, overall, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a slower news day for that to be one of our big items. But the uh, the other item... Um, really scraping the bottom of the barrel, the bottom the, of the barrel, if we're talking the, about merchandise sales. Yeah, exactly. This one a little bit more important, the second item and and the last of our items. Um, uh, There's a report from ESPN that there's been a league-wide memo uh, across the NBA and its franchises where they're encouraging teams to just kind of pay a little bit more attention to their overall um, expenditures, you know, their their hiring, their total, you know, payroll, um, some of those types of things. Not a ultra dire situation but they are it looks like i'm emphasizing that wanting to anticipate any kind of economic uh downturn or turbulation that might happen or has already kind of happened in some instances uh within the u.s within the last year or so so um that's something that they're going to focus on this upcoming season um the nba's fiscal year begins in october which of course is about when the regular season starts anyways so uh, something to pay attention to, but otherwise, um, that's it for our key news. Justin, someone who works in the world of finance, any thoughts on that before we jump to uh, the last part of our show, the main part of our show here? Many companies and organizations have been making large leaps and stretches to avoid having to lay off employees, and they've been trying to protect their companies as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, given that there's a possible economic recession. And so I think it's probably good news that the NBA is preparing for that. But it also may mean that um, some people are laid off or some people lose their jobs or their opportunities just because of the the status of the country. If people don't have jobs, they're not going to be paying for entertainment, which is what the NBA is. So yeah, I hope I hope that there isn't much of a crash, but if there is, I, I hope they'll be prepared for it. Yeah, obviously. And and I agree with you and all of us, I'm sure on the same page, we're, you know, hoping for the best, but it's always to plan for the worst. Um, and that's a good policy for a lot of things, especially finances. Um, but with that, that takes care of our, uh, our news, our couple of news items. Let's jump into the main thing that we talked about doing. And that is, um, this is going to be um, a first installment as far as, we're recapping our weekly predictions that we made uh, every Wednesday throughout the course of the regular season. Um, there's an asterisk by every Wednesday because we did miss some weeks early going uh, as far as getting the podcast in a, in a routine, doing the show every day of the week, things like that. But uh, in total between Justin and I, we did 27 different predictions and this first part, we're going to just casually look through, talk about, where we were right, where we were wrong. Um, But we will, there's a few of these that are still kind of to be determined. And so we're going to make an official post a little bit later in the, uh, in the summer that says, okay, here's where all of these ended up. Um, So you can, you know, check back and see, Hey, they were right about this. Good job. Or wow, they were completely off. Why are they talking about the NBA? You know, things like that. So, um, I have the list here. Uh, we have it on, of course, our Google, uh, our shared little Google Doc where we have our, um, you know, structure for the show. We've got a list of them. 
And I'm going to start uh, with some self-congratulations. Justin, I want you to take a look at week three of our predictions in which I said the Sacramento Kings will break their playoff drought. And boy, did they do that. I just want to take a moment and and thank you all um, because I feel pretty proud about that one. So fantastic call. I have one that may be better, though. Okay. See week one, week one of the NBA season. My prediction is De'Aaron Fox will outscore Kevin Durant this year. That's a great point. He absolutely did. De'Aaron Fox scored 1,800 points this year. Kevin Durant scored 1,366. There you go. You De'Aaron called it. Fox scored 500 more points than KD because KD only played like 40-something games. Mm-hmm. So there you but go. I absolutely called that. And I sticking by it, that might be the best prediction I've ever made in my entire life. Yeah. The only caveat, I'm not trying to take it away from you. The only caveat would be Durant did have a higher average but it was still close. And yeah, total points. Darren Fox totally ran away with that. So yeah, huge kudos yeah. to you on that one. Well, I mean, having averaging what 29 points a game is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. But if you play less than half the season, it doesn't count. That's true. Guess, which, is, so. which is what Kevin Durant suffers from. Yeah. I mean, this season in particular and some of his past seasons and more recent seasons in memory. So that's a fair point. Um, yeah, let's glide through a couple of these. I think generally we did semi-decent overall. Um, I will point to one that I completely got wrong. Um, where is that one? Week 17, the Grizzlies had gone on a win streak, and I said, or no, sorry, week, that was the wrong one. Week 14, sorry. Week 14, the Grizzlies had gone on a run, and I said the Memphis Grizzlies will sweep their upcoming Pacific Division series. They had a series of games against teams like the Lakers, the Suns, the Warriors. I said they would sweep that series and be close to the conversation of longest winning streaks in NBA history. Well, it turned out the Grizzlies immediately went on a solid losing streak. They lost all those games and slumped for a couple weeks. So first of all, another apology to Memphis about that one, but um that one was uh, an abject failure of a prediction. So I got to own that one. My personal biggest failure is from week eight, um, where I predicted that LeBron <laughs> would not pass Kareem in all time points this season. Mm. That obviously was starkly incorrect, but I was kind of hoping for possibly an injury or maybe father time who's undefeated would eventually take LeBron. Didn't happen though. He did it. Mm-hmm. He passed Kareem and no one's ever going to break his record. Yep. Well, it'll it'll definitely be it'll take another really special kind of player to be able to do that that long sustained type of play. It's just um, you know unbelievable. Um, but I will say to your credit, if we want to give you you know some small consolation points, it was within the the week or two after he broke the record that he had that foot injury act up and he missed a great deal of time with that. I think the margin as far as the points needed to break the record this season was semi-close. And so it wasn't a, a totally outlandish prediction. It just didn't happen to come true. So I'll give you some credit on that one. But um, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I of course. Saw, I saw an estimated statistic today <clears throat> while I was listening to videos while I was at work um, that by the end of LeBron's possible career, if there are no more injuries <clears throat> and at a projected rate, Mm-hmm. He might end up with between 44,000 and 46,000 points. Mm-hmm. And then the the comparison mm-hmm. that was made was all of the all-stars from today, all of the young stars, their current career trajectories and estimated ending career values mm-hmm. are significantly lower than that. Like no one who is currently in the league has any possibility of passing that record. Right. Which means that there will need to be someone who comes in as a generational talent, is instantly an all-star, and can sustain that all-star level play for between 20 to 28 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the, I bet we will never see anyone in our entire lifetimes beat LeBron's record. Yeah. Well, and especially with recent trends as far as load management, games played in a season – how we deal with injuries it's less and less likely as we go as far as that goes my one comment 
I agree. I think he's going to pass 40,000. I don't quite know about mid forties. I feel like that might be a little bit high. I understand the trajectory makes sense mathematically that way, but um, if I was to put a number, I would guess maybe capping it at like 42,000 total at the end of his career. But um, no, yeah, regardless, either way, phenomenal numbers. And yeah, there's, very, very little chance that that record uh, gets broken anytime soon. Um, real quick, I'm going to also pat myself on the back for an early call here. Week two, I said Kyrie Irving will be traded or bought out by the Nets. And it did happen at the trade deadline. So there we go. But I will also say the week before that, I was wrong in saying the Brooklyn Nets would miss the playoffs. That did not happen. But it was a little bit different circumstances than I anticipated. So that was interesting. And they're they're completely going to get swept in the playoffs, though. So it doesn't – I don't know. You might as well just take a bye in the round that you play the Nets because they're absolutely horrible. You don't think the Nets can get one game against the Sixers? No, I absolutely think they won't. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, they, <laughs> if I'm their GM, I just blow up the whole team, trade everybody. But you've got Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson. You've got some young talent there. They have like ten guys on their team who are like six foot nine and long and weirdly athletic, but who aren't. Yeah, Nick Claxton. Efficient. Yeah, I just I'd blow up the whole team, man. <laughs> Trade everybody, reset, just sell the team back to New Jersey, and I would retire. I wouldn't try anymore. Justin they have no is- picks. They have nothing. Their <laughs> their franchise is ruined just like it was ten years ago when they blew will, up everything to get Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. I will say this about Justin. He is not gonna pull any punches, all right? He's gonna go for it. Um and I could be dead wrong too, which is why I kind of love to go for it. Yeah. Because like maybe they win the series and then I just have to eat my own words. But it's fun <laughs> to make hot takes like this, knowing that I'm probably right. You're like our skip Bayless. Oh, not skip. Maybe <laughs> Charles Barkley. I prefer Charles Barkley, maybe, but yeah, maybe but even, maybe even Austin Rivers, but just not Austin skip, Rivers, maybe. not skip. What about like Abs- uh, like a Max Steel. Kellerman? Cool, or a- Steel. No, Max Kellerman's on some crack. He shouldn't even be on anything. Steven A. Smith. <laughs> He's loud. Um, yeah, but imagine like my hot takes if that was just the only thing that we broadcasted. That's it. Yeah. It would be a little bit of a different show. I think we could say that much. But um, I, I don't think I've ever yelled yet. Maybe I should. Maybe one of these episodes, I'll just go on a tangent and lose it. Uh, Okay. <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> what that take would be that would get you so fired up. But um, I guess we'll have to it see is- if that happens in the future. But. Most likely, based off of things I've already been passionate about, it'll be about the Phoenix Suns, it'll be about the Brooklyn Nets, or it'll be about James Harden. One of those things is likely to get me fired up. That's fair. I guess we'll be. I'll I'll put special notes anytime we're going to talk about those things to make sure we're cool and and don't get <laughs> too fired up about it. Um, but anyways, okay, so. Uh, we've talked about a few of these, Justin. I'm curious if there's any of these other predictions that we've either of us have made that you'd want to uh, touch base on now. Again, we'll have chances to do this a little bit later on uh, in the summer, but is there anything else that kind of stands out to you? Um, I think one of my good or better predictions has been the one that I made in week 23, mm-hmm. which is where I said with the playoff, with the playoff race tightening up, no other players will score 60 in a game this season. I have to insert a small caveat. Um, Joel Embiid was awfully close the other night, mm. but nobody's got 60 again yet. So I think that is maybe like a four out of five on our scale of good picks. Gotcha. Fair not enough. quite Nostradamus, but not quite um, complete pile of dog crap either. Fair enough. No, I agree. That was a, that was a pretty good take. Um this one I need to double check on basketball reference. Um, not a sponsorship because I don't think this site makes very much money if it does, but I want to plug <laughs> basketball-reference.com. If you are a basketball aficionado like we are, 
it is the best place to just comb through um, and find all sorts of information. Um, but I need to, Justin, maybe if there's one other you want to talk about real quick, I need to find some stats for one of these particular uh, takes real quick. All right. I'll take the opportunity to stall and continue to talk basketball. Okay. Um, I have another couple of good picks. Um, some closer than others, some not so amazing. Um, week 12, I predicted that the Cavaliers would come out on top of the East. Mm. That wasn't the case. <laughs> However, they're up there. I would say that's not a terrible um, prediction. Mm. Week 13, I said Paolo Bancaro will be an all-star reserve this year as a rookie. Um, that didn't come to fruition. However, he's been a baller, and he's going to be the rookie of the year, more than likely. Mm-hmm. And in week 14, I said that Walker Kessler, my boy on the Jazz, will be named to the defensive second team All-NBA at the end of the season. Yeah, and I think that's very possible at this point still. I was going to agree. Yeah, I think that one has a really good shot. I mean, he was, what, third or fourth in the league in blocks per game average. Um, and the Jazz exceeding expectations, I think he was a huge piece in them being able to do that. Um, so yeah, definitely great play this season. Uh, I did pull up that stat that I was looking for in week, uh, my week 23 prediction. I said the current standings in the Eastern conference. So this was March 22nd of 2023 will match the play in tournament and the playoffs in both those exact teams, as well as the seating they were in order in at that time. And I am happy to report that I was correct about that. There was no jostling that happened, although I think at that point it was mostly settled anyways. But at that point, it was um, Bucks one, then Celtics, Sixers, Cavs, Knicks, Nets. That was your top six. Your playoff field was set. Then it was the Heat, the Hawks, Raptors, and the Bulls. So it all did work out there. I was 100% correct on that one. I was not correct, however, a few weeks prior on uh week 20 <clears throat> excuse me week 20 i said the houston rockets and san antonio spurs will win a combined six games or less over their combined 40 remaining games and <laughs> that was a pretty I, i'm realizing now that was a pretty bold take a little bit wild the spurs alone won six games of their last 20 and the Rockets won, let's see, uh, nine of their last 20 games. So I was a little bit off on that one. But uh, the general premise was semi-decent. But yeah, not not correct on that one. Um, yeah, any others you want to touch on, Justin, before we uh, wrap this segment up? Again, just a quick reminder, we will talk about this later in the summer. I'm still a fan of my week 18 pick, which is that I, I picked the Brooklyn Nets best option for Ben Simmons is to flip him for as many picks as possible this coming off season. Mm. We'll see if all of the Nets executive team, which are ghost listening to our podcast, follow my advice. And they absolutely send that guy back to Australia. Fair hey, enough. who knows? I mean, he could be a star in the CBA over in China. Maybe he and Jimmer and who else? Latrell, Sprewell, those guys, Starbury, all those guys play in China. He could play against Dwight Howard. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Sprewell's well retired at this point, but uh, I get the general premise. I think Um, all those guys are, but I think he'd be a better fit there. He could play in the NBL. He could play the Australian professional leagues. Maybe the WNBA with how their league has been going the last little while. There you go. Allow him in. I mean, Justin pushing, probably, pushing for equality here. He'd probably be like <clears throat> a good bench role player there. So maybe he could have a spot. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, ben, if you're listening, um, unfortunately, I'm having a hard time disagreeing with Justin here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I yeah, it's just an interesting situation. But yeah, I would agree with that. It'll be interesting to see what the Nets do this offseason. But um, yeah, we've had a bevy of interesting uh, predictions we've made. But again, some of these, and I'll touch on a few of them, are still kind of up for grabs uh, or up for debate, if you will. Of course, we mentioned Walker Kessler. Those all NBA type awards will still be 
determined um, within the next uh, month or two. Um, let's see. One of mine was for like several years down the line. So that one's not going to be known for a while. Um, yeah. Week 17, I said within five years, we will see an NBA team revolutionize defense and end the era of three point emphasis. So obviously we're not going to know on that one for a while. It sounds a little dramatic the way I phrased it, but um, that, that one's still up for, up for debate. Um, I like how yours was within five years, we will see an NBA team revolutionize defense and end the era of three point basketball. And mine was, I think triple J will win DPOY. Yeah. Yours was a lot more straightforward. And that's another one that's kind of up, you know, it's, Hasn't been determined, but that probably has a pretty good chance of coming true. I would say he's probably the front runner along with like a, a Brooke Lopez or somebody like that. Um, yeah, Brooke Lopez has been really good. Um, I just like that those two have played basically every game this year. But yeah. Other people have had more impressive statistical nights, like AD has had some crazy nights, but the guy played 45 games. So play more and you fit better for wards for the entire season. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, another one I had uh, week 21, despite not being an all-star, Jalen Brunson will make an all-NBA team at the end of the season. That one I'm not as confident in as when I said that, but again, that one's still up for up for debate. And again, there's a bunch of those that we're still waiting on. So we'll wait to post this in full once we get some more clear picture on somehow how some of the rest of these predictions play out. But um yeah, just speaking of that to... post. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go for it. Yeah. Let me throw in a plug for our Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, please follow us at Crossover Across Time on Instagram. Um, we make daily posts for the most part. There's very good content. All of it's easy to read. And it's definitely easier to look through that than listen to the entirety of our podcast. So go there. Please give us a follow and share if you want to. And yeah, there's my plug for the episode. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely check it out. Um, it's a, a nice little summary of the podcast, but if you want the longer form, you know, version of that with some maybe out of pocket moments, depending on who's hosting and, and such, you know, you can have that. I think it um, depends more on who's co-hosting in your case. On yeah, co-hosting. Some people are probably like, man, this main guy is pretty milk toast. Like, what is his deal? He's very bland, but um, milk toast is a good word. That's impressive to use that on a basketball podcast. Thank you. I've, um, I should start looking for that. That's going to be my new challenge. Come up with an obscure word and figure out how to shoehorn it into a <laughs> podcast. Very, how, very good there. How to finagle it into a podcast. But um, I guess you could say my behavior is a little bit eccentric at times. Yeah, a little bit eccentric. I like that. Um, yeah, we're going to have to we're, we'll come up with a list. We'll have a vocabulary test at the end of the season for our listening audience. That'll be great. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. It- you know what basketball listeners love more than <laughs> vocabulary <laughs> or grammar Voca- tests. Vo- vocab- yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I again, thought it would be cool to, you know, just look back on some of these, um, see where we were at. I think generally, again, we we're pretty well based on a lot of these, even though a couple of them ended up being way off. But, um. Yeah, it's fun to look through these. I think this is a segment we'll keep going with next season's podcast when we get around to that time. So that'll be good. Um, but that takes care of our uh, little weekly prediction wrap up segment that we had planned for you. Um, let's go ahead and give you our this day in history fact. And it's here that I owe you a small apology on yesterday's podcast. It was late enough at night that by the time I got to our this day in history fact, I read the calendar, you know, the date in the corner of my screen and said, oh, April 12th, that's our Tuesday show. Well, that was incorrect. That was April 11th. But it's funny how this works out, because if you'll remember our April 12th fact, so that's today's this day in history fact, technically, I mentioned that that was the day the St. Louis Hawks beat the the Boston Celtics and won the NBA championship. One of only two teams to beat the Celtics in the middle of that 11 championship dynasty. Right. And I mentioned that the other team was the Philadelphia 76ers of 1967. Well, wouldn't you know it? April 11th, the day before 
We're swapping the days, April 11th. That was the day the Philadelphia 76ers defeated Boston 140 to 116 in game five of the Eastern Division Finals to end the Celtics' eight year reign as NBA champions. So, not the finals, but it was the Sixers beating the Celtics in the playoffs. And then later in that same postseason, they would go on to win the championship. Interestingly enough, in 1980, that team was voted at that time as being considered the greatest team in an, in the NBA's history at that point. So a lot of cool facts, but I think that's awesome that back-to-back days, those two teams that are linked by having beaten the Celtics, you know, that those showed up. So hopefully <laughs> you guys appreciate that as much as I do. A lot of good 76ers and Celtics history out there. Absolutely. Um, and again, if you're not familiar with that Sixers team, um, if I remember correctly, that might have been the team we talked about on our Sixers franchise focus. Um, but that was a great team. Wilt Chamberlain, um, Hal Greer, Billy Cunningham. Those are the names you'll most likely know. They also had a great forward by the name of Luke Jackson. Not the Luke Jackson that underperformed coming out of Oregon in the mid-2000s. Luke <laughs> Lucius Jackson, who was a solid, <laughs> solid power forward. He ended up being the center after Wilt left. They also had um, Chet Walker, an underrated scorer, and Wally Jones was the point guard. So, yeah, great Sixers team that won that uh, championship that year and beat the Celtics. So, um, with that, that takes care of the bulk of our show. Again, thanks to Justin. We've we've plugged the Instagram page. Really appreciate him doing that. Once again, check it out. We appreciate it. We appreciate all of you listening into the show. Justin, any final thoughts before we close out today's show? We're very thankful for all you listeners um, and have a wonderful, wonderful night. Thank you. Thank you all. We'll be back with you soon. <laughs>